When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he was 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Hail Varsity, Saturday morning edition. Nice to have you along. My name is Mark Cranack, alongside Elijah Herbal, Hard H, as we have learned over the past month or so, and as uh, Elijah has known most of his life since he could talk, um, but the rest of us are just now catching up. Chris is um, in Des Moines, and he is uh, watching Junior play baseball, so he is unable to be on the show this morning, so the inmates running the asylum. Um, it, it should be, be noted... Uh, it should be noted that Hard H, if you say uh, inmates running the asylum, uh, Hard H was my jail nickname as well. So, It was your nickname? In jail, yeah. Oh, about that. Hard H, yeah. I didn't know you were in jail. What were you in jail? What, what did you uh, get locked up for? Um, um, yeah, you know what? That was a total lie. I wasn't, wasn't in jail. I was trying to think of something oh, funny on the spot okay. there, but it's, it's gone. <laughs> it's such an opportunity to tell a really good lie there, but um, you pass up on it. It speaks a lot about your character. And we appreciate that about you, Elijah. I think that's why you're here. I think that's why you're on the fast track to success. Thank you. Um, yeah, very honest man. What what a week. Look, it's hard to even know where to start. Like, it's Big Ten Media Days, which normally kicks off just the huge media story cycles. And you get plenty of topics because usually, in the past couple of years, in these settings or in and around this time, Frost and Nebraska say some things that piss people off, <laughs> that show a certain level of bravado, that just become topical. There is a total absence of that, right? And so, and at the same time that that's happening, you get this Texas-Oklahoma debacle. Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. Maybe there's going to be a couple more. It's the it's the dawn of the super conferences that people have been talking about for such a long time. So it wasn't really hard to upstage Nebraska this week because they didn't really say anything. It, it, when you look at what happened at Big Ten Media Days, Elijah, and I know you were alongside for a lot of it. Chris was on Radio Row, so he was getting a lot of interviews with all kinds of different teams, players, coaches. Um, I had a sit down with Austin Allen, among others. You know, you're you're just sort of like, well, where's the news? Like, what what did Nebraska say? Because remember, it was in that setting. Hey, people better get us now, because year two is really where, where it's going to take off around here, right? Frost saying that. Um, there is such a lack of. Are we looking at a humbled Scott Frost, a humbled Nebraska program, and is that good? Are we glad that finally, well, I think we all embraced the bravado, like, 
<laughs> Big Ten's going to have to change their system for us. Yeah. Right? You sort of like that stuff. You're like, you kind of like it when your coach talks a little smack and uh, shows some confidence for a, for a program that's been mired in mediocrity ever since Steve Peterson said he refused to let Nebraska gravitate to that. But that's exactly what happened. Right? Like, you, you root for that stuff to some degree. But at the same time, that's never really worked for Nebraska to be all kind of cocky. And it just feels like they are humbled and they are fine. And I think the biggest thing that, that I heard from all of them, from the players and the, and coach Frost was, yeah, we're picked fifth. That's where we belong. We got, we got to earn it. Are you Elijah? Okay. With what we're hearing from the team now, a seemingly humbled team that understands just like the rest of us do just shut up and prove it on the field. Well, I mean, there was some talk. I mean, it, it was a completely different tone in the media days. And I think one of the, the interesting things to look at is the difference between what Bill Moose would say about a football team going into a season, what he'd say about his coach as compared to what Trev Albert said uh, over the, uh, over the big 10 media days. It kind of felt like uh, more of a unified front between coach and AD uh, as you know, uh, Trev Alex was saying, well, I'm not going to set a, a win total high or low for you, um, but I'm going to make sure that these coaches only have to worry about coaching and recruiting and uh, in streamlining the process for them, making sure they have as little as possible to worry about. And Coach Frost kind of saying the same thing, saying, um, I, I've been focused on too many things that weren't football related, uh, and, and now I'm focusing my uh, my full attention on the football team. I, I think this is the uh, the most talented team I've had since I've been here, but uh, we, we got to prove it on the field. It's essentially what Scott Frost said uh, across all his appearances of a big at Big Ten Media Days, so I think it's a it's a a quiet confidence, maybe uh, not not a bravado, not going out and uh, talking your trash, if you will. It, it just kind of a um it, it was nothing off the wall crazy that the quote wise that we heard from Big Ten Media Days. It's just kind of what we've been talking about in the media cycle since the season ended last year, which is that this team does have the uh, the talent on it to you know. Uh, improve this season and who knows if improvements seven and five or nine and three and I think that's kind of why uh why Trev Alberts got into the hole I'm not going to set a win total um but I, I do think the potential is there for this team to be better this season and that's kind of what it sounded like at Big Ten Media Days that the potential is there but the uh the guys in the field really got to tie it all together and uh and they got to take care of their business if they do want to have better results in the field what do you think he was talking about the things that he is having to get involved with um, cause I looked a little bit more into that and, and rewatched and listened to, to what coach was saying there. And he, he was basically saying, Hey, we, uh, you know, I've had to spend a lot of time worrying about things with the athletic department as a whole instead of coaching the football team. I'm like, like what, what are you talking about? I mean, the, the first, like, what's he talking about? First, I, first that stands him. out to me is, is fundraising for the athletic department. I mean, you see him mm -hmm. uh, frost out making appearances, making speeches, going and talking to fans. Um, you see him, you know, opening up that new big red, uh, the, the go big f uh, football facility, the new uh, one that's under construction. And I'm not saying like speeches take up all your time, but that's just the, the limited amount we're seeing him in as I do see him uh, going out and not necessarily, you know, fundraising like an ad but not fundraising like i've seen a football coach uh 
named Bo Pelini or a football coach named Mike Riley uh, or even going back a football coach named Bill Callahan. It really seems like Frost being as uh, well-known as he is in Nebraska that the athletic department used him to go around and be like, okay, Frost, go talk to some fans in Grand Island and uh, and uh, make sure we get some money for the athletic department. It kind of, I mean, that's that's the number one read I get is fundraising is the first one that stands out to me and that's the first one that, that seems to make the most sense for what a football coach should be doing that's not coaching or recruiting. Hmm. And there's it looks it seems like there is at least some expectation that you would do that, right? But it, but from what Frost was saying, it seems like it maybe jumped the shark and he was spending a little too much time, and it seemed like Trev Alberts agrees. So yeah, who knows what was happening behind the scenes? And I think that all has to do with the kind of power vacuum that Bill Moose left. Like for all the good things that he did, he hired all the coaches that Nebraska fans and administer and everybody wanted to hire he got that done um but you know reading between the lines he just he wasn't very present <laughs> he wasn't around a lot and so duties that normally an athletic director would handle or take the brunt of um just kind of weren't happening because he wasn't there he was like at his ranch in montana or washington or whatever the hell it is <laughs> he, just, he just wasn't there and so you had to, you know, other people had to pick up the slack there. Um, but I did, I did notice too that that uh, Coach Frost was was he praised Bill Moose too, and said that they're friends and all. Look, Bill Moose sort of was what he was, um, but I think he left a lot of work to his underlings that Trev appears willing to take on, which should ease the burden on the coaches and allow them to to, to do what what they do best. At least that's the hope. Um, and I think you can look at the the Bill Moose tenure as a whole and say, yeah, Bill Moose may be what Nebraska needed three years ago. Bill Moose is money at going out and, uh, I guess, recruiting coaches is the best way to put it. Whenever you look at the the three coaches he brought in across the three biggest sports in Nebraska, uh, as well as, you know, setting up uh, the volleyball program after John Cook. And I, I know John Cook has a pretty good relationship with Hildebrand, uh, but it seems like Hildebrand's the future of that program. And um, he was added to the Nebraska volleyball coaching staff at least added back after Bill Moose's tenure. And then you have Frost in the football team, Hoiberg on the basketball team, Will Bull on the, uh, the, the baseball team. Um, Bill Moose did his job well there, which was to appoint three talented head coaches uh, that really, I still believe, can get it done across all three of those sports. Um, but I think you can also look at it and, and accept that he wasn't the right guy to lead this athletic department moving forward now that the, the three head coaches that the athletic department wants installed have been installed. Right. Change agent. Right. And there's some people that are like that. I, I think Jim Harbaugh, very different profession, um, is similar to that. Right. Like there are certain people that are really good at coming into a situation, flipping it, flipping it on its head, setting things up, totally changing things uh, and and, you know, setting a different trajectory. But are they the right ones to maintain it? I mean, uh, the, right. And maybe not. And, and you mentioned Harbaugh. I think I can even go back to, to Bo Pelini and how quickly he turned the roster from Callahan to whenever he stepped around or stepped in. I mean, he, Callahan left him pretty good talent and he took him in from a you know five and seven football team and pretty quickly turned him into a nine and three football team. Um, just, I mean, he brought in a, a couple Juco guys and a couple recruits. Um, but at the end of the day, he did that mostly with Bill Callahan's roster. He, he was a change agent for Nebraska football back in 2007. Um, and, uh, I mean, Bill Moose kind of had the, the same role, but for the athletic department as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Tweet in from Sam in hindsight, it makes you wonder what the hell was Moose doing having that big red blitz 
right in the middle of trying to recruit coming out of a pandemic. It's a good point. Because remember, I think it was what June 1st when those around June 1st, when all the recruiting limitations were lifted and then you could have folks on campus, you could, uh, you know, it was just the floodgates opened. All of a sudden you could have contact with recruits that, that you just could not have during the pandemic. And I don't know about the calendar. I'd have to cross reference that. But if memory serves me right, Big Red Blitz was in and around that time. (laughs) Right. Um, So, yeah, that 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 could that's one example of, hey, you got your coaches on the road visiting Ord and Weeping Water and whatever. Trying to drum up support for the football team. And those were sparsely attended, by the way. Talk about not being able to read the room. You know, compared to a couple of years ago when those things were just completely sold out, you're packing everybody into like some small like junior high gym or the local VFW or whatever. They, they had really sparse crowds this year. Um, but and, and I think that's emblematic of kind of where everybody's at. Right. Just shut up and actually do it. All right. <laughs> like we, we appreciate the bravado. It's cool to talk a little smack sometimes within reason. But you better freaking win. When you're going to do that, there's nothing worse than the guy that talks a bunch of smack, but then can't ball. You know what I mean? Like when you think of like pickup games, playing pickup, the dude that's just on fire talking smack, you can't guard me. And then he just bricks threes, right? Like, we don't need to guard you, man. <laughs> it's like, dude, you know, you're not really, you're not really a threat here. Um, but of course, all this is upended by... The, the Big Ten Media Days is complete, and leave it to Texas to do that. And they can't quite stand not being in the spotlight in some way, right? It's it's Media Days across the country. You know, SEC was just coming off of theirs. Um, I don't know what the Big 12s were. I don't know if that's next week or if that was the preview. I have no idea. Um, but Well, I, I think that kind of evidences the point of why Oklahoma and Texas are leaving the uh, the Big 12 going to the SEC. Because look at the, the media draw of the SEC, even SEC media days. I saw those yeah. all over Twitter, and I couldn't tell you if Big 12 media days have happened yet or not. Yeah, I don't know if they have either. Same with ACC. I think ACC has because I, I think Dabo Sweeney said something. But either way, there's Texas and Oklahoma – Saying and it appears imminent. I mean, it just this just feels this feels real. It feels very different than I think some of the rumors we've seen over um, the past several years. Ever, ever since Nebraska kind of kickstarted this whole idea uh, back in you know what was it 2010. Um, this feels real. Feels like it has legs. Feels like Texas and Oklahoma are headed to the SEC. There are of course legislative hurdles and political hurdles that they have to cross. It's very different than what Nebraska has to deal with. Like literally there, there are legislators in the state of Texas right now drawing up legislation to prevent them from doing that, right? Because the legislature is composed of people that graduated from Baylor, from Texas Tech, from other schools that, do, from Texas A&M, from schools that do not want Texas to leave. So it's very different. They, they do have those hurdles to cross. You would think they could cross them, but it's not going to be just as simple as Texas snapping their fingers, being like, well, we're Texas and we are going to the SEC. It's not that easy, necessarily. But it seems like it's going to happen. And if it does, if it's just those two, all of a sudden the SEC has 16 teams, right? So they, they would be up to 16. Big Ten sitting at 14. 
Big 12 would obviously be decimated and you can no longer consider them power five. I mean, they, they pretty much disintegrate at that point. You may be able to add a couple others, but obviously nobody with anywhere near uh, the TV draw, the brand, anything like that. The Big 12 will, for all intents and purposes, be done if this happens. Well, yeah, you're, you're taking all these teams in the Big 12, and you're probably going to cut their, uh, their TV revenues in half uh, just because Texas and Oklahoma left. I mean, the Big 12 paid out over $35 million per school. Uh, last season, um, and then you look at, I mean, the next best conference, the AAC, paid out, I think, $6 million in their TV rights uh, to every single team in the conference. So just, I mean, look at the difference in the draw, and the AAC has some high-quality football, and they had, a, I mean, a, a national championship contending team in UCF a few years ago, uh, and you look at how much smaller their TV revenue deal is, where if you lose Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12, who is going to draw in the, the eyes no. for the TV to uh, for the uh, the TV companies to be able to say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll pay enough for each team to get $30 million. Like, it, it's not going to happen without Texas and Oklahoma. And I don't know who the Big 12 could add um, to be able to get those eyes back to the Big 12. I mean, it, it seems yeah, like no. it's, it's a death blow to every single other team remaining in the Big 12. Yeah, it leaves a lot of them scrambling, which in hindsight, despite Nebraska's lack of success in football since Nebraska joined the Big 10, Seems like a pretty good move now, <laughs> doesn't it? Like for all the frustrations you might have about Charlton Warren and the kind of pinky in the air, you know, way of doing things in the Big Ten that's a little different culturally than what Nebraska fans like or are used to, Nebraska's in a good spot, right? Like Nebraska is is in one of those conferences that is going to be okay, right? Big Ten's going to be all right. SEC is obviously going to be all right. Every other conference, who knows? Who knows? Because the dominoes that this will now kick off has major impacts on the ACC, major impacts on the Pac-12, could have impact on the Big Ten, but I just don't see any Big Ten chancellor or president suddenly moving to the SEC. It, it's too much of a lateral move for them. So then the question becomes, who, if all of a sudden this is the dawn of the 16-team super conference, which has been rumored forever. Uh, since Nebraska left the Big 12. Mm-hmm. There's, it's been rumored forever that you're, you're ultimately heading down the path of four 16-team super conferences. Big 12 is no longer part of that discussion. It's basically going to be Pac-12, SEC, Big 10, ACC. And the composition and makeup of those teams, or of those conferences, obviously are going to change. So if you're the Big 10, who? Say you just need to add two more teams, just two more, knowing that the Big 12 is going to dissolve and that every single one of those institutions would be more than willing to find safe harbor in any conference that will take them. Right? If, you're, if you're Kansas State or you're Oklahoma State or you're Iowa State right now, you are crapping yourself. You do not have a logical home any longer if this goes through. You don't. You're going to be relegated to kind of the outposts. You're going to be rele relegated to what we now consider the group of five, which is going to be the group of six. That's it's, I mean, it's not good for you. So if you're the Big Ten, who do you add? And I think and, and I think that the ACC is ripe for the picking a little bit. That There's there's a chance you can grab some folks from there. I, there's a couple schools that come to mind. I think Boston College is one. Mm. I think Virginia is possibly one just in terms of their kind of academic standing. 
but I do not see that sort of football behemoth that would logically join the Big Ten, which is something the SEC is getting with Texas and Oklahoma. Their recent results aside, they will obviously bolster the, the, the brand equity of football in the SEC if Texas and Oklahoma join. Um, I, but I don't, I don't see the big – and a lot of people say Notre Dame. N- Notre Dame is locked in with the ACC yep. through like 2030 or something like that. I mean, they're, they're, they're locked in for whatever reason. And that one never made sense to me. Maybe that's just a recruiting thing on their part. I have no idea. Um, but Notre Dame, for as obvious as they are geographically and for how often they play Big Ten teams and all that stuff, I, I don't think you can count them in. Now, maybe something like this, maybe huge dominoes that are falling like this could change some things contractually, and Notre Dame could be that team. Uh, but it doesn't seem like it's them. So I think you immediately look at Kansas, because at least they're a basketball brand. And now they have a good football coach and they could maybe rise to sort of a Purdue, Indiana kind of football level. And and let's not forget, Kansas also opens up the Kansas City market to the Big Ten. I remember back when the Big Ten added Rutgers to get into that New York market. And I understand the New York market is so much bigger than the Kansas City market. But you look at the opportunities that Kansas City allows with, okay, you can now use Arrowhead for Big Ten championship games. Uh, You can go in and use the the Sprint Center for, uh, is it still called the Sprint Center? I don't even know anymore. But you you could use that for, uh, for, say, the Big Ten Championship. I know Chicago has been hosting the Big Ten Championship for basketball for a couple years now. Um, but it, it really does open up another market. So that's what why Kansas makes sense. It, but, the, but the football team um, doesn't make the most sense. But of all the teams in the Big 12, I think Kansas makes the most sense just because of the, the, the brand of Big Ten basketball as well as the brand of the Kansas basketball program. Um, but if you add Kansas as one, I think you need to add another premier football program as, you, as your other team that you're going to add if you're also going to get to 16, right? And but but who's who is that? That's what I'm saying is like I don't see the the team that's out there that would even be available. You know, and and I agree with that. That's what you want to have. You definitely want. Oh, you got to get a premier football brand in there. Who? You think Clemson's coming? No. <laughs> oh, they're not coming. Miami, Florida State. Who? I mean, let's be honest. The ACC I think has the best shot to add Notre Dame and West Virginia, which sounds like two better teams to me than Nebraska would have in Kansas and anybody else from the Big 12. So does the Big or the Big 10 look towards the Pac-12 and see if there's any teams they can scoop up from the Pac-12? I mean, I know that's not geographically making sense, but it kind of feels like the the conferences that are together because of geographics is kind of a, a concept from 10 years ago now. It really doesn't feel like it matters where uh, your school is located uh, in relation no. to their teams in the conference. So does the Big 10 look towards the Pac-12 and see if they can scoop up a team from there? I, you know, Pitt comes to mind there's a chance pittsburgh or, or cincinnati now does it does right does it wow is cincinnati maybe does it wow you of course not it, like pitt's not you know some football juggernaut we know that cincinnati yeah they've been good recently but smaller school smaller budget whatever so but the, so there isn't that team so if that's the case if you are looking at it and if you're just like no matter who we pick or who's available they're not necessarily going to bolster our football. Well, then you might just be like, well, then let's start looking at, at basketball and who can help us there. <laughs> who Kansas, obviously, obviously they, they seem like the only sort of shoe in if the big 10 is going to add another couple teams. And then you'll have to see what happens in the ACC. 
you'll have to see what happens in the Pac-12. Um, but super interesting times. I, super. I, in- uh, another question that that you can throw out there is is Texas A&M a good enough football team that for the Big Ten to want to try and add I mean it sounds like they're very yes. unhappy with this whole situation with Oklahoma and Texas is it enough for them to say you know what SEC we thought we were your Texas school if you want to add another Texas school we'll be gone um, that's one question that that comes to mind yeah. for me because I mean if you believe what the reports are saying it, it was Texas A&M that as soon as they found out that Oklahoma and Texas wanted to join the SEC they're the ones who leaked this story out to the Houston Chronicle that's what the rumors were saying and it makes a lot of sense are, are they that unhappy that they'd be willing to leave the SEC uh, that's a good point that is a curveball and that is something to to keep your eye on yeah Texas A&M is pissed right now they are not happy the thing is, is that <laughs> there's no contract for it, but they have, they had this handshake deal with the SEC saying that they'll they'll be the only Texas school, but it's not written down anywhere. It's not. It's just a handshake, so it doesn't hold any water. Uh, look, if Texas A&M wanted to bail, that that changes things. You absolutely add them if you're the Big Ten. Um, you know, geography aside, that would be a nice big brand. You would give Texas or the Big Ten a foothold in the state of Texas. Um, recruiting wise, which would be good. Yeah, that's a that's a curveball. That's that's something that's out there. This is going to take a couple months, I would think. Right? I think Texas and Oklahoma are going to make their announcements, but then from there, wow! Well, you are going to see those Big Twelve schools scrambling. You are going to see legislation in the in the state of Texas. <laughs> it is it, prob- probably in Oklahoma too, because Oklahoma State's pissed about this. Yeah, it's going to kick off a lot. Um, it's going to be very similar to 2010, if not worse. Probably worse, well, actually. I mean, barring a, a complete Big 12 collapse, the earliest that Oklahoma and Texas, according to the bylaws of the Big 12, could leave is the summer of 2023. So before that 2023 football season. So you have some time before Texas and Oklahoma um, would leave, but that's assuming that, you know, eight teams in the Big 12 don't decide to go and, uh, and join up in another conference, in which case, I mean... You don't even know that. That's unprecedented. The fact that a conference could just collapse willy nilly like that. Um, but it, 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 it's unprecedented times. I mean, uh, when we had Brock Heward on, uh, Chris talked to him on Thursday. Uh, the quote that he had was essentially uh, uh, I'll, I'll just pull up the quote directly. Um, and, and he was talking about college football as a whole um, when you look at name, image, and likeness, as well as like the power to the players, but now how much control, like, the dollar bill has over college football right now he says we're at an inflection point of massive change in the sport when you look at everything that's been going down this summer and now thinking maybe more conference realignment um it really does feel like this summer has just been a, a complete and, and i don't want to put this you know i don't want to overstate this uh but it really feels like this has been like a summer that could change college football permanently with name image and likeness a new college football playoff coming uh, down the rails uh and now conference realignment it just feels like this <laughs> summer has been like yeah. like the things we've been talking about for years are all coming down now in this one summer yeah, and don't worry about it cuz commissioner warren's got it all under control <laughs> firm leadership there what is he doing i don't dislike Commissioner Warren as a, as a whole, I I just I don't understand how he got through the interview process. Like, what is he talking about half the time? Like, did, did you see his interview with with uh, Dave Rebson during Big Ten Media Days? I did not. I saw his uh, his presser with all the media, but I didn't see Dude, the one with Dave. Just awkward. Just awkward. Like he's just not comfortable 
in the role that he has. <laughs> I mean, it's like I, my jaw was dropped half the time just watching him, just being like, dude, seriously, what are you talking about? Like, like I know words are coming out of your mouth, but I don't understand the point you're trying to make. And he just like abdicates leadership. Right? He just he doesn't even he doesn't like like you knew Jim Delaney was in charge because he let you know he was in charge. Warren is just like, oh, we'll, we'll keep talking to people like he's inviting more cooks in the kitchen into every decision. He's all about that. And you're just like, whoa, OK, I, I can't imagine that he's a long term commissioner. I really can't. I don't know how it's not going to work, but I just. Yeah. And, and look, he came into a very tough situation, obviously trying to navigate the pandemic and his like first month on the job, like horrible way to start, you know, like could not pick a worse way to start your, your tenure. Um, but whoa. <laughs> and, and while that's happening, right? Like th- there are not a lot of people that just have confidence in, in commissioner Warren. Well, it's uh, just how it is. I'll, just co- I'll, I'll come in and play devil's advocate here. Cause I- I'm with you. I'm not a huge fan of how Kevin Warren has handled the last year, but we talked about how bill moose was brought in for a very specific purpose at Nebraska. And that was to install the head coaches that would set a foundation for Nebraska moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Kevin Warren, he comes in a few years before a new TV rights deal. Um, was Kevin Warren just brought in to, to be the guy who, you know, would lead the big 10 to these better financial waters. I mean, uh, one of Maybe. the, uh, one of the reports out there predicts that, Come 2025, the Big Ten and the SEC are going to have by far and away the, the biggest TV rights deals uh, and if trends of a year ago continued. Um, they had the Big Ten actually is getting a, a bigger rights deal than the SEC because Fox apparently, this is, I mean, all rumor, but apparently Fox wants to come in and buy all of the Big Ten uh, TV rights deals. I mean, I know they have big noon kickoff right now um, and they have a lot of the Big uh, 10 games but apparently Fox wants all of the Big Ten games because Big Doom Kickoff has been such a success for them so maybe Kevin Warren's a great guy to lead the Big Ten through a new TV rights deal and, and get all the schools the money that they need but uh, he's been put into a tough situation with COVID and I don't think he's handled it well no 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 and it just it just doesn't appear like he's just inspired confidence in really anybody any of the coaches any of the administrators any of the fans uh, some of it unfair. I think he's received some really unfair criticism, you know, decisions that actually weren't his. Like a lot of the COVID stuff was not his decision, like just flat out wasn't even. But he gets blamed for it. Um, so some of it's not fair. But I, like while conferences are realigning and while schools are going to be looking to join new conferences, it, you know, you, you want your conference to be on very solid footing to help you there. Um, and And the Big Ten is. But <laughs> the not a ton of confidence in the leadership there. So we'll see how that shape. Who, who do we got for the rewind? I know see, we have like a million. I, I was going to ask your opinion here. I, I have it down to a couple options. And I just want to know who you want to hear most. Because Scott Frost was a, a great interview. But we've gotten a lot of play out of that one uh, through the week. So if you want to hear Scott again, we can do that. Um, Austin Allen as well. Um, I have him queued up. Or uh, we could go Brock Hew- or. Uh, not Brock Heward. That's what, oh, we go Joel Klatt. We had Brock Heward yesterday, but we can go back to Thursday. Those are three people we had on Thursday. So do you want Austin Allen, Joel Klatt, or, or Scott Frost? I'll leave it up to you. Hmm. I kind of feel like Frost. Frost one-on-one with Schmidt. Okay, uh, if, 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 we, if we go Frost, we do have another minute and a half here. We could uh, we could talk for it if, if you would like to, or we could uh, just go right to Frost if you'd like to. It's, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. You're, you're the man in charge today. No, let's go. Let's go, Frost. Let's go, Frost. I, I think we go, Frost. Let, let's hear from him, and let's hear. Let's 
let's hear what he had to say in these uh, in this setting. Um, it's pretty rare that that you get a get him in a one on one setting. It's pretty much the only time of the year that you will, um, unless you're with the official radio network. So, yeah, let's hear uh, let's hear Coach Russ. So we need to step aside for a break, or we just go straight into it. What are you thinking? Oh, we step aside for a break. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll step aside. Um, it's and then we'll have uh, Gary Sharp, Brandon Vogel um, next hour. As, uh, as we continue here, the Saturday morning edition, Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Now, back with Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery, with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back with you, Hale Varsity Radio, uh, Media Days 2021, Lucas Oil Stadium, where we're at, uh, home of the Big Ten Championship game head coach, Scott Frost with us. Coach, thanks for stopping by. How's the how's the day been? It's been a long day. They take me from one spot to another. I answer all the same questions over and over again. You're my last one, so yeah. good to see you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for obvious reasons, right? So I'm going to start off and, and, uh, and, and ask how, how uh, this summer's been when it comes to fishing. I mean, have you caught some big ones? Have you had time to fish? Have you had a little relaxation? I haven't fished as much as I want, so my wife and I are actually uh, building a house out at uh, Sandy Point in okay. Ashland. My mom and dad have been at uh, Thomas Lakes uh, since I was one. Uh, my grandpa bought a house out there, and there's good fishing there. And I've been a couple times with my wife and uh, Tim Carpenter. We were just talking yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, but I need more of that to get away whenever I have a chance. Sure. You uh, privy to you like crappie, you like walleye. If you're if you're drafting a fish to eat or grill, well, eat or grill is probably uh, halibut. Okay. Um, to fish for it, fly fishing is my favorite thing, to be out in a, in a river waiting and, and throwing a fly. Okay. All right. Scott Frost with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. So we, we got the, the, the fishing out of the way. I want to talk about momentum. Thank you for asking me that, by the way, because uh, yeah? I, I'm, I'm tired of the other questions. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> now that we get to those. Now we can get to, now we can get to, to some, some football stuff. And you, you talked uh, a couple of different times today about momentum. And uh, you got a team that's, that's old and, and veteran and they're ready to take that step. Uh, you know a lot about creating momentum uh, with the teams you were on. You know, how do you communicate that and also – put it on display Saturday it, it, it's easy to talk about but it comes down to doing and it sounds like you feel pretty good about your kids I feel great about the team there's a whole different feel when you walk into our building right now um, and again I, I'm not here to over promise um, I just know how much progress we've made from a cultural standpoint from a talent and depth standpoint um, the kids are confident they're excited uh, that means that winning habits breed winning and winning breeds more winning and that speaks to the momentum. Uh, we're doing all the things right. Um, I can't wait to see these guys catch a little wind in their sails and see where they can take the ship. Scott Frost with us here, Hale Varsity Radio, uh, Big Ten Media Days. Well, let's talk about Adrian, and uh, he has uh, done a lot for the program. I, I appreciated how he handled things last year, uh, the ups and downs, and uh, was a really good teammate, and I'm anxious to hear from you. Uh, on Adrian and just, I guess, his excitement level. And, and I guess the also the, the other part being, you know, he slimmed down quite a bit. So from a, from an agility and quickness standpoint, at least to my eyes, spring game-wise, he looked uh, looked pretty electric. Yeah, he's an exceptional athlete, um, throws it really well. Um, 
I'll answer this different than I've answered it other times. You know, I, I went through the highs and lows as a quarterback at Nebraska. Um, there were times I was the probably most hated guy in the state of Nebraska and then finished maybe on the opposite end of the spectrum. And Adrian's lived pieces of both of that in uh, three years. Um, we tell him never let your highs be too high and your lows be too low. But he he's experienced all of that. Um I think he's comfortable with where he is. Uh, he's talented enough to compete to be the, honestly, to be the Big Ten Player of the Year. Uh, we got better players around him. Um, he's in good shape, and, and he's confident. And uh, I, I feel for him when he goes through those things because um, the praise is always too great and the, and the blame is always too harsh. And uh, there's a lot that go, that a quarterback in Nebraska has to wear on his shoulders and he's worn that and and I think he's comfortable with it now uh with his role and the pressure and um I think he's primed to have a good year from a turnover and playmaking standpoint that's uh, it's a fine line you gotta walk as a quarterback and uh, are you concerned about too much analysis to not make the mistake or do you feel good about that point now being able to go let it rip and Yes, also take care of the football. Yeah, there's a fine balance. I want him to let it rip, but I'm not saying anything that's a secret to him. Uh, Rutgers' game was a good example. He was, I, I'm going to miss it probably, but I think 24 or 28. You're right around with, there. Yeah. With, you know, so he missed four passes and uh, ran for scores and threw for scores, but he had two fumbles, two interceptions, and, and maybe one other bad read. And um, he's got plenty of talent to take us as far as this team wants to go. Uh, but um, not any different from the rest of the team. As as a group, we got to eliminate the bad plays. And uh, not that I want him dwelling on those. I want him to go let it rip. But we have to be mindful of, of not um, having self-inflicted wounds that put us in a bad, worse position in a football game. A couple more minutes. Scott Frost with us here. Big Ten Media Days. Hail Varsity Radio. Uh, Coach, uh, a thought here as you open against Illinois, uh, week zero, and uh, just the opportunity there. Uh, that, that lies ahead with uh, kind of the spotlight. I mean, a, a great opportunity here and uh, can add or really kind of kickstart that momentum you're talking about. Do you like opening so soon? I know it's not Ireland, but uh, it is uh, a conference opponent. Um, I like it. Um, you know, so, sooner or later, <laughs> it'd be nice to have just a regular non-conference schedule. Uh, that being said, uh, I like getting a, a jump on the season. I like having two uh, by weeks mixed throughout the season uh, it's a really important game it's a division game it's a conference game um, we're going to get our kids ready for it uh, we didn't play very well against those guys last year uh, as disappointing a performance as, as we've had since I've been coach uh, we need to play better against those guys this year and I know we will L- offensive line uh, you look at uh, some of the youth but also some experienced youth and then some older guys uh it sounds like depth and talent are, are really kind of cohesive on that uh really important part in, in league play with the line of scrimmage action uh when you look at uh, i guess your expectations of the line where do you think they can go you know what steps can they make i i think this group can have a chance to grow together and be the backbone of our offense and our team going forward mm-hmm. um and it's a bunch of young guys uh obviously we have some veterans that i've mentioned but mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the young guys are the core, and it's it's Corcoran and Banks and Ben Hart and Piper and Juergens, uh, and it's going to be Prohaska and um, 
and and other guys and um those guys are the the type of talent and the type of personalities that we need um and i think guys that'll make the former pipeline guys proud last thought here scott frost with us here big 10 media days on the field here lucas oil stadium coach thanks again for for making one last stop for us uh with with uh, trev coming in your uh i think you said earlier you've had a chance to, to get caught up with him uh your thoughts on trev and just uh, having another husker at the helm hey i'm so glad they landed where they did and uh trev and i have talked multiple times already um i think he has a good feel for um the things that have been happening at the university and and he and i have a lot of common visions about uh, what we can do to to make it better and to get the football program over the hump i know a lot of the other coaches around the university are excited to have him uh, we wanted the nebraska and we wanted uh, uh, somebody that we knew and that knew our program and and has been in our shoes and uh, not another outsider uh, i don't think we had time for that it, it would have taken a, a year or two uh, for that person to get comfortable in the job and get things set up the way he wanted and it could have been a completely different direction than what we've been headed and um, I think we've hit reset too many times in our program, and this is an opportunity to move forward with somebody that knows Nebraska without hitting reset. What would you have liked to have endorsed back in the mid to late 90s with NIL if you could go back? Uh, what would I like to endorse? Uh, Cabela's, for, first and foremost. Uh, I probably shouldn't be naming companies. but uh, would have been pretty pretty cool, though. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, fishing, hunting, golf, so... Any of those, I'd, I'd be all over mm, A little Callaway. There you go. Wh- whoever, you said it. <laughs> Scott Frost, Coach, appreciate the time. Thanks Good to see much. you again. Appreciate it. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Hail Varsity Radio, Saturday morning edition. Nice to have you alongside Mark Cranach, alongside Elijah Herbel. And uh, we are trying to get Brandon Vogel on the line, but um, having a little bit of trouble. He has a built-in excuse, though. He has a built-in excuse. The managing editor for Hail Varsity, who joins us every Saturday. Um, he's got an infant. Right, you got an infinite home. You kind of have a built-in excuse for just about anything, uh, because they really see. Here's the thing with babies, Elijah. I know you do not have one yet that you're aware of. Um, they are very selfish. They're, they're they do not care about you. They do not care about your goals, um, what you have planned. Very selfish little human beings. Um, all they care about is themselves. Uh, they're very whiny. Um, they poop themselves. I mean, they're just, you know, they're kind of little disasters. Very cute. Very cute, but they can't do anything for themselves. Um, and it makes it tough. So uh, it makes it tough. I got a good little story here. After my senior year of high school, uh, my aunt and uncle, they worked for the uh, the U.S. government overseas. And they, uh, as a graduation gift, they flew me out. They said, we want you to, to, to see the world a little bit. We'll, we'll fly you out to where we are, and you can come stay with us for a few weeks. Uh, so I got to spend a, a few weeks in uh, the country of Mozambique in Africa, which was beautiful. Um, really incredible trip, like one of those once-in-a-lifetime trips, like incredible. But um, they had... They have lions and stuff there? Oh, yeah. So we went on a little safari, and uh, I actually saw um, 
two lions getting getting down and dirty in some grass actually uh, which was a very <laughs> unique experience to see um that was that was one of the once in a lifetime things uh that you, you, I sh- I, you can't see that at the omaha zoo um <laughs> lion sex if you had that on your bingo card this morning um okay yeah um, continue but anyway um my aunt and uncle they had uh three young children at the time who now they're, they're a little bit older that was five years ago so uh um i i think at the time the their youngest was one uh their middle child was like four and then their oldest was like six um so what i learned that trip was uh that that just spending time with those three kids was probably the the best form of learning birth control that you could ever have out there because i mean after spending a couple weeks with young children i went oh i am i am not even close to ready to uh be in a place in my life where i want to have kids It, it was I don't want to say it was terrible because like it had its moments, but also I was just like, yeah, no, this is, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go through this like at any point in the near future of my life. No. And then especially when they turn into toddlers, that's basically where they turn into little drunk people. <laughs> that's basically what they are. Right? They're just little drunk people. Their balance is terrible. They're making poor decisions all the time. They're still capable. They can pick things up. They can clutch them. They can run around. They can still move, but they don't know what they're doing yet. And, and the only thing they want to eat is chicken nuggets. Right. Well, that, <laughs> yes. Um, or little puffs. Yeah. And, and when you try to – like you, can, you cannot sit down – like simple things. You cannot sit down on a couch or a chair for any length of time because your toddler um, – they're not tr- they're not doing it intentionally, but they basically spend the whole day trying to injure or maim themselves, and you have to prevent that from happening. And what that means is you're sitting down on a chair or a couch. There's your toddler, like, hey, let's go ahead and grab this whatever and let's stick it in my mouth. And you're like, no, you should not do that. You should not do that. Hey, let's go let's go stick our fingers in the in the vent. Let's go stick our fingers in the doorway. Let's like no, let's not. Let's not do that. So you have to keep getting up constantly to prevent your toddler from injuring themselves. Um, well, so that's probably what Brandon's dealing with right now. There is just something of the aspect. I feel like toddlers are just naturally attracted to the things that are most dangerous and deadly to them. Like maybe it's just because like, I mean, a, a knife just looks so cool. But like, I feel like like toddlers just want to go pick up the things that is like the last item in the house that they should go pick up. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, pretty much what they're doing. I mean, I don't remember it, but uh, whenever I was a toddler, I spilled a, an entire mug of coffee over my head, um, hot coffee, fresh out the uh, fresh out the uh, the, the coffee pot. Um, my dad Ugh. filled up his own mug for uh, when he going off to work that day, and uh, me being a toddler found the most dangerous item in the house and spilled it over my head. So um, that, was that was smart. It, it, one of those moments that's probably just been erased from my own memory because of how traumatic it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember it all, but it's uh, I, I'm told this story. A lot of the time that uh, my parents heard me crying in the kitchen, they come in and just find me covered in coffee. This explains a lot. Actually. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I understand you on a much deeper level now. Um, now, See, I, I, I wasn't the child that was dropped on my head, though. That was my brother. Okay. Gotcha. You were just pouring hot liquids on your head. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Steaming hot liquids at about 204 degrees. Um, and we're waiting for, uh, we're trying to get Brandon Vogel, but he, you know, He's, he's dealing with an infant, so... Yeah, I, I, I have a text Look, out he, to Brandon. As soon as I hear back from him, I will, uh, I, will, I will keep you updated. Yeah, he can be on no hours of sleep, too. That could be part of it, also. Where, like, he had every intention of joining, 
Um, but maybe he was on duty and then didn't fall asleep till like five thirty or six. And then, yeah, he, you know, could be off in REM or, uh, or deep sleep land. Um, on the bright side of any morning for Brandon to not join us. I I love talking to Brandon, but we do have a ton we can still get into before, uh, before we talk to Gary Sharp here in about what, 15 minutes. Yeah, of course. And, and I think we got to go to the conference realignment stuff that is kicking off in earnest. All right. This is the, it's, it's the beginning of the end of college football as we know it. It is the dawn of the four team super conferences. There will be plenty of jockeying. There will be uh, schools going left and right. Um, going to be a lot of movement, and it's all being kicked off by Texas and Oklahoma making their intentions pretty clear to want to join the SEC. Um, is it that simple? Will there be roadblocks along the way? Yes. But if that's their intent, it's probably going to happen. Now, it's probably going to happen. What's interesting here is uh, as I was looking into this yesterday, it really seems like um, from, I mean, there's been anonymous Big 12 ADs that have uh, been talking with reporters uh, and just kind of what's been going down the past year. It really feels like that this has been a move that's been driven by Texas and Oklahoma has just kind of been like, well, if Texas is leaving, we can't stay in the Big 12. Uh, we, we can't be the main draw because then Texas is going to earn all this money in the SEC and we're probably still going to lose money on the TV rights deal if we stick around. Um, Texas funded kind of a, a little study. Uh, it was Texas, uh, their AD, along with the West Virginia AD, where uh, I think it was about eight months ago, uh, right at the beginning of the year, they went through and uh, they essentially went and reached out to the TV networks and were trying to get a gauge of how much money that they'd be making in the next TV deal. And this is according to The Athletic. I, I read an article yesterday from Bruce Feldman that, that discussed this, where it was Texas and West Virginia leading this charge going, okay. Uh, how much money are we set to make in this next TV rights deal? And they essentially learned from the ESPN and Fox that ESPN and Fox haven't even thought that far down the road about if we want to even, you know, re-sign the Big 12 in, in a TV rights deal. And, and this was a, a big scare to Texas, them going, oh, well, if we can't even accurately predict how much we're going to be getting in our TV rights deal, why don't we go somewhere stable like the SEC, who you know that no matter what happens, they're probably going to get a more expensive TV contract next time around because they are such a huge brand. And, and the Big 12 ADs were left blindsided by Oklahoma joining Texas because that they've known with Texas. Texas, while not necessarily making their intentions clear, the writing's been on the wall that Texas is looking uh, for a more lucrative TV rights deal uh, in their next contract, whether it was with the SEC or the Big Ten, what have you. Um, Oklahoma, on the other hand, they have not mentioned anything about this. They haven't been with Texas in this study. Um, They've been showing up to every single Big 12 meeting and keeping their mouth shut about it. And then just one day, everyone in the Big 12 was slapped in the face when they heard it's Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. So my question is, is how locked into the SEC is Oklahoma? Are they thinking, yes, the SEC is the best thing for us? Or are they just thinking, you know, if Texas is going to the SEC, we can't be left in the dust here. We need to go follow with them. And I bring this up because when you look at the football landscape, it really doesn't make that much sense for Oklahoma to jump ship from the Big 12 and go to the SEC just in terms of the competitive aspect. I mean, you're going to a conference that is going to be 10 times more competitive than the than the Big 12. I mean, Oklahoma's won the past, what, seven consecutive Big 12 titles? You're going to a, a conference in the SEC where you're not going to have that easy path to the college football playoff every single year. So does Oklahoma go, well, yeah, we need to get out, but we'll keep our options open. Does the Big 12, or the Big 10, excuse me, make a call to Oklahoma and say, hey, 
uh, we can offer you just as much money as the SEC is going to be offering you. And guess what? Um, the only school you really got to get past year in, year out is Oklahoma as compared to in the SEC where you got to get past Alabama, Georgia, Florida, LSU. There's so much harder competition in the SEC. I wonder, I wonder how open Oklahoma would be to move into the Big Ten. Hmm. I mean, it's possible. It's certainly possible. Um, and you're right. I mean, the SEC is already the dominant conference. You throw Texas and Oklahoma into that mix. You're, I mean, it, it looks like you're just setting yourself up for a bunch of eight and fours, right? Just just in terms of the competitive balance um, that exists in that conference. For, for the Big Ten, though, who do you go poach? Who do you go and grab? If we're heading down this 16-team super conference route, who do you add? You have two options. You have you have two slots to fill. You're already at 14 teams, right? Geographically, you're already really spread out, you're all the way from Nebraska to, to Rutgers and Maryland, right? It's, so you're covering a vast swath of territory. The, the one that seems the most obvious, and by the way, which of those schools that are available or could be available are really football behemoths? There's not a lot of options there. There's not. Notre Dame would make a lot of geographical sense and historical sense, but they're locked in with the ACC. Pretty specifically locked in. I think it would be very difficult to pry them away from the ACC. Now, does all of this change things? Does it change Notre Dame's calculation? Do they try to get out of their ACC commitment? That's certainly possible to where they would want to come join the Big Ten. That's certainly possible. Doesn't seem likely, though. The, the one team that seems pretty obvious not a football power, but geographically it makes sense. I think academic-wise it makes sense. And then basketball-wise it makes sense is Kansas. Kansas immediately jumps to the top um, of a school that makes the most sense geographically, academic fit, all of that stuff. I could see Kansas being that team. From there, total crapshoot. Do, do, do you poach somebody from the ACC? Get, say, a Boston College, maybe a Virginia. Even even like in North Carolina, right? Um, that's possible. If Oklahoma becomes available, no brainer. That's who you go after, or if if you want to recruit them, that yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. Then there's schools like Iowa State, mm, where you Iowa wonder State's what kind of yeah. It's look and they're look. Ames is sort of like Bloomington or Lafayette or West Lafayette, right? They're just it's not a you know, pretty small town, pretty small college town, pretty small stadium, all that. But in terms of just overall athletic department under Jamie Pollard, Iowa State, man, they punch above their weight. And there's no quite they, – they finished, what, top 10 last year, right? Or close to it in football. They're always a, they're always a tough out in, in basketball. They don't even have a baseball program. So you have that. Um, but it's not like the Big Ten makes – any decisions based on what's best for NCAA baseball, right? So I, Iowa State is a, is a possibility. The, the question but, with Iowa State is, do they have that longevity and staying power in football? Because if you add Kansas, I mean, based on the past five years of Iowa State football, it's a good add. However, um, you don't know how long Matt Campbell's going to stick around for. I mean, the, the question becomes, does Iowa State – 
can they have staying power once they get a bigger TV contract like they're going to get uh, if they were to move to the Big Ten? Can they stay relevant? Um, do they have good enough fan support to be a, a Big Ten institution? I mean, you look across the Big Ten and the, the schools, aside from Rutgers and Northwestern, have very good fan support pretty much across the board. So I, when I look at Iowa State, I go, yes, the football program is probably a good enough ad for the Big Ten as it stands right now uh, to be considered, you know, um, I mean, it's not as good an ad as Texas or Oklahoma, but I think it's as, it's good enough that it, it keeps you as one of those top two conferences if you go at Iowa State, if they can keep their current you know form on the football field. But I just don't know if they have that staying power and if Matt Campbell's willing to stick around. But maybe Matt Campbell's willing to sign a, a long-term extension should they move to the Big Ten because you know that the, the dollars are going to be rolling in. So I, I don't know. While it's not my top option, I think Iowa State would work. And then you can also add in the fact that uh, it would create a pretty fun rivalry in the conference between Iowa and Iowa State. Yeah. Yeah. And, and will there be like political pressure within the state of Iowa that, hey, we got to find Iowa State a home here? Right. Uh, that, that could be a factor as well. And this stuff could God, it could stretch out over a couple of years. I, I don't think it's like this summer. All the dust is going to settle. Oh, no, no. You know, so all of that's at play while Nebraska um, tries to get their foothold in the Big Ten, which they've struggled for a decade to do. <laughs> struggled for a decade to do and, and Scott Frost joined uh, Chris Schmidt in the last hour on the rewind um, from Big Ten Media Days earlier this year and or earlier this week and I look I, the, the, there are obvious sort of issues that need to get fixed with Nebraska football we, we know what those are it seems like he does too <laughs> right it doesn't seem like there's a big disconnect I don't hear nearly the level of bravado that we've heard before. Um, you, you know, I think Frost has alluded to, in some way, shape, or form, problems with the culture or problems with the roster in general ever since he's gotten here. This year, this offseason, is the first time he hasn't. He is just, he. it's almost like the, you know, as much as fans are kind of tired of the excuses and they just want to see production, uh, it appears like Coach Frost isn't making any excuses anymore. Not that he was necessarily making excuses, but he did make it known, eh, we're young, or eh, our culture. Eh, people aren't wearing, people are wearing hoodies when they're warming up in Minnesota. Like, you know, Grant Wistrom would have, you know, clocked somebody if they tried that back in my day, but, right? Like, you, you, just, you just heard a lot of that stuff over the years where if they're not excuses, they can kind of come across like that. They can kind of come across as an excuse. Doesn't appear he's doing that anymore. I, he's, he's just coming right out and saying our culture is right. We don't necessarily have, uh, you know, all the experience you need, but do you ever as a coach, right? Like, is there any program that's ever like, yep, every single possible thing on our checklist is exactly how it should be? No. Um, but he says they have good enough experience. They have good enough talent. The, the culture is right. He's more or less put it out there of just, hey, yeah, it's time to put up or shut up. It's time to put up or shut up. And I think that is very much in sync with where fans are at at this point. Can you deny <laughs> that this is the most talented roster Scott Frost has had on paper since he's been here? I mean, when you look back at it, um, He's got threats at receiver. At least he should have threats at receiver. Adrian Martinez going into his senior season. Running back is the big uh, question mark position. But you got a lot of returning experience along the offensive line. Um, I mean, all your defensive line is returning. 
some good linebackers returning and a very experienced secondary, it feels like this is the year that it, it, it should click. Um, now, the schedule complicates things tremendously because the schedule is so tough this year. But just uh, across the board, it's the most confident I've felt um, in all the position groups since Scott Frost has been here. And uh, I guess my own confidence does not translate to wins and success on the field. Um, but it feels like that the pieces are there that they should be able to win enough games to at least be a respectable football team this year. Am I, am I wrong? Uh, it do, I mean, it does appear that way. There, there are just very few positions that you look at where you're like, oh, my God, that has to get fixed. Or, oh, my God, that's a problem. Oh, my God, what are you going to do there? You can maybe say outside linebacker. You can maybe – but, but yeah, even you, then – You still have to generate can, a pass rush, but JoJo Doman's yeah. returning this year, and he looks like right. he's been developing in that role. And who's going to be the guy across from him? Is it Caleb Tanner? Uh, Feldarius Payne looked like he made some strides in the offseason in the, in the weight room, and mm-hmm. he looked good last season. So I, I, I think there could be enough there. But, again, it's, it's not going to be that Randy Gregory-type pass rusher on the outside that no. made Nebraska's defense so fearsome under Bo Pelini. No, and, and Blaze Gunnarsson is is on the rise too. Um, as a highly recruited guy out of Iowa that had some injury problems, but flashed a little bit in the spring game. So that would be the one position, save for JoJo Doman, who I think is one of Nebraska's best players. Period. Um, save for him, but he's more of your hybrid in coverage type guy than he is than he is a pass rusher. Um, but defensive line, you mentioned it. I, I'm not sure people really realize. I think you're legitimately looking at four draft picks on that defensive line at minimum right now. Ben Stilley's going to get drafted. Would you agree with that? Like, do, do you see the draft coming and going and Ben Stilley not being a part of that? The, draft, his, the draft's always his, so hard to predict, especially the full season. But if he keeps up the, uh, the way he's been playing, uh, no injuries, anything like that, and yeah, I definitely see him being a, a late-round draft pick. He doesn't have the the athleticism that you look for in in a guy that's going in the first two, three rounds. But when you're looking at rounds five, six, seven, um, he does seem like a guy who's going to be drafted, especially when you look at uh, the guys like the the Davis twins who, while they didn't have the most decorated career at Nebraska, um, the the, the body type and the physicality that they showed just translates well to an NFL roster. And I I think Ben Stilley fits that same mold as the Davis twins. Mm -hmm. So you got him and, I, I do disagree a little bit at, on, on the athleticism front. I think he has more than he's maybe been given credit for. Sneaky athletic? Um, well, right. Coach on the field side. No, but I mean, really, he's, you know, he, he was playing like safety and tight end and kick returner and all that when he was in high school. So, And he's ate his way into being a defensive lineman. So I think there's some athleticism in there. And if he's, just, if he's a little more comfortable carrying all this extra weight, now maybe that athleticism will shine through a little more it did some last year it did some last year i mean when he breaks free he can track he can track ball carriers down right so you got him you got damian daniels he'll be a draft pick i don't think there's any question about that as long as his conditioning keeps going to where it should go you can absolutely put him as a three four nose in the nfl he'll translate well to that ty robinson i mean you know he's he's a couple years away but He's definitely on the rise. You know, he t- he had quite a few snaps. He'll he'll be a draft pick. Mark, can, can you think- check your your mic real quick? You're giving me some uh, some modulating sounds. Can you make sure it's plugged in correctly and stuff? Uh, we might have to try recalling you. Can you just talk for a second? Yeah, I'm talking here. Yeah, let me just call right back. Yeah. I'll just call right back. Yeah. All right. Back. Okay. So uh, we're efforting to get Mark Cranach back in here. Um, but what I'll say about this team 
is, uh, I mean, Ben Stilley, athletic, that defensive line, we're going to continue talking about that. Um, it just doesn't feel like there is a liability uh, along that defensive line. Um, Mark, do we have you back here? Yeah, we do. Is this, is this better? Not at all. Oh, my goodness. What, hey, why don't we step aside? Cause we got to get to Gary Sharp next anyhow. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll step aside here, see if we can get this issue fixed. And uh, when you return, we'll, we'll, we'll chat with Gary Sharp, and hopefully we'll have the, the technical difficulties fixed, because it feels like it's just actually gotten worse over the past two minutes. Okay, well, let's, let's get out of here. Hail Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir, you heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. We're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Saturday morning edition of Hail Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. It's Elijah Herbal. Uh, we're, we're about to be rejoined by Mark Cranach as we're uh, fixing some technical difficulties on that end. So Mark is going to be back here in a few minutes. Uh, but right now we're excited to welcome in the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp. Uh, hear him on 1620 The Zone up in Omaha. And uh, Gary, we've wrapped up Big Ten Media Days. And I think it's been more eventful than anyone has uh, was even expecting uh, when you look at the situation with Oklahoma and Texas, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but when you look at Big Ten Media Days, it feels like we had a, a unified front from uh, Scott Frost as well as the AD, Trev Alberts. But would you agree with that assessment that this has felt more unified between Alberts and Frost than we really did between Moose and Frost? I don't know. I think uh, it just you have two people who are uh, pretty strong um, that have the same belief that one runs the program, the other oversees it that they know that there has to be success in year number four. And, you know, I think they have the same idea of the, the process on how to keep there. I think it's, I think it's good that they kind of said uh, a lot of the same points, talking points, um, but they have an understanding of, of where this needs to go. And, you know, it's not like, you know, I, I give credit to Scott. It wasn't like he was avoiding that the first three years have been rough. And he's, he, he really can't say much until they play a game where people are going to roll their eyes. But he can tell you that he's aware of the challenges Nebraska's had the last three years, and it's been mostly self-inflicted, and then go with the process of how it's going to be to be fixed. But this time of the year, everybody's got to stick about their team. It's not like Nebraska had a, had a good Thursday. It's nice and quiet. There's no major storylines that you can really beat to death. I mean, Nebraska just needs to play a football game. So some of the stuff that's been talked about now for seven-plus months, we can see on the field. But I, I will tell you that uh, Trev Alberts uh, came across really, really well. That's the Trev Alberts that I've gotten to know. Um, a very polished, very point message, and very much a presence in Indianapolis when he uh, talked to media. Talking with Gary Sharp here on the Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio, efforting Mark Crane at getting him back in here. Um, but, uh, Gary, before we, we get Mark back in here, I, I just want to – Get a, get a general feel is that I mean from uh, from people like us in the media you kind of use Big Ten media days to, to get some storylines as we make it through fall camp and into the season so what do you think the storylines for this Husker football team are going to be now that we've made it through Big Ten media days and we're what four weeks away from kickoff against uh, Illinois or five weeks I guess yeah we're five weeks from today that's crazy to think that summer is just flying by I, I think you have to separate it into all three phases offense defense and special teams I think with the defense I think the storyline is guys came back for a reason. Do they play with a ton of pride? Are they able to get off the field on third down? Are they able to create some turnovers? Actually, you could say 
the equivalent of that on the offensive side of the ball to be successful. But I, I think we're going to find guys are playing for pride that are on that defense. You return nine of your 11 starters, your top eight tacklers. They came back for a reason. Well, they can show it right away. And, and you know what? There's no reason why this defense can't be successful throughout the entire season. Now, they got to fix some things, and they got to find a couple other playmakers and be solid, I, I think, especially at the second level. But there is, there's no reason why Nebraska shouldn't be at least – give you a chance every Saturday on defense um, for your offense to do something. And then on the offensive side of the ball, it all comes back to number two. What kind of a season is Adrian Martinez going to have? We think that this is the last hurrah that he will have the kind of season that we've all been anticipating. I think he feels the same way as well. Well, he's going to need some help from his friends, and I think Nebraska's got to have a stellar running attack. I think Nebraska has to find a couple of running backs, if one, that can carry the load, and that that is reliable. When Nebraska, when the chips are down, Nebraska can run the football, and thus it ties into the offensive line. You know, there's there's things to like on the offense, but we don't we don't know as much over there because they haven't played yet. And then special teams. I I if I could take one thing, Elijah, and flip it, that I believe that if you flip this, Nebraska could go from 12 and 20 to 28 and 12. And there's attention to detail. You know, the small things that continue to plague Nebraska in all three phases, but the biggest being on special teams where there's so many details that you have to pay attention to. But if, you're, if you find teams that are very solid on special teams, that usually is a – it shows what kind of a program you're running that is buttoned up and does take care of those small details because that's what happens on special teams. So I, if there was one thing I could flip, that would be that. I think there's all, all kinds of storylines over the three phases. I don't think it's one general storyline for the whole program. Gary Sharp is with us on Hale Varsity Radio. Um, Gary, you mentioned running back and the position there. It's just not settled, but th- there are options. Feels like a four-team race to me. want to see if you agree, and I want to see if you who you think will emerge as the top two, which Coach Frost did mention um, at Big Ten Media Days that he's really just looking for – he doesn't want a running back by committee thing. He doesn't want four or five guys shuffling in and out. Right. You know, in, in order to go fast, you kind of mentioned that with tight ends too. in order to go fast, which they do want to do some, you, you just got to be able to rely on a couple guys to, to carry the load. I think your options there are Marvin Scott, Gabe Irvin, Jacquez Yant and Marquis Stepp. Would you agree that those are the top four? And if so, who do you think emerges as the top two? Gary, you with us? You hear that? Have we lost Gary? Ah, look at that. It continues. It continues. Um, I'll, I'll yeah. get Gary back. That was a great question, Mark. Uh, I, was, I was really looking forward to his answer. Let me, let me get Gary back on the line for us. Yeah, why don't you do that? I, I think the question was so good, it completely stumped him. And he just he didn't, he didn't know how to respond. What a, what a day of technical difficulties around here. This pandemic, I'll tell you what. It, it was so much better back in the day when we could just be in studio all the time. And, uh, you know, not have to deal with as many technical hurdles as, as we've dealt with this morning. Um, that's OK. That's OK. That's why we uh, that's why Elijah gets paid six dollars and 50 cents an hour. We've got, we've got Gary back out. online. Gary, you got us. Gary, are you there? Yep, I got you. OK, good. Sorry. I, I don't know how much you heard of my stellar question, Gary. Um, I did not. OK, see, on the radio, what <laughs> happened? <laughs> on the radio, what happened is I asked this great question and then silence from you, which indicated that my question was so good that you were totally stumped. Um, but, it, you know, uh, uh, playtime aside, 
look at the uh, here's who I think are Nebraska's top four running backs in contention for the top two spots, which Coach Frost mentioned. They're looking for basically two. Right, doesn't want to do a whole lot of running back by committee uh, thing coming up this year. I think your options are Marvin Scott and Gabe Irvin for more of your kind of all-purpose type backs, and then Jacquez Yant and um, Marquis Step as as your bigger back options. Would you agree that those are the four that are in contention? And if so, which two do you think will emerge? Uh, I agree. I have uh, bought all the stock in the world on Gabe Irvin as the mm-hmm. next really, really solid Nebraska running back. Uh, I, the, other, the other one is a wild card for me. I, 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 don't have a, I don't have an answer. I know that's bad radio, but I know nothing about those guys. I, I feel more confident in Gabe Irvin in what Nebraska needs from that position, but I think that's why you can't narrow it down to two. I mean, Nebraska's got, Mark, you rattled off four guys that are worthy of playing. Now, they all have different skill sets and roles that they're going to play, you know, but... You don't scholarship Yant and then sit him on the bench or make him a third down big back. There's something mm-hmm. about him that they're going to utilize more. Marquis Step, we don't know. You know, I, I wish I wish I would have heard this week. Step is good to go. He's been working out. We feel 100 percent confident. We're moving forward. But again, I don't like running backs that have foot problems. Um, but Nebraska's got to find a, an answer for that position. If you look at teams around the Big Ten, especially in the West Division, that maybe don't have incredible quarterback play where the quarterback is single-handedly winning you games on Saturday. You've got a very productive, when we need to get a first down or we need yards, we can run the football combo of an offensive line and a running back. If Nebraska can get that, look at how much that takes off the plate of Adrian Martinez. It's just comfort level, and then it opens up other things. If Adrian is more, if Adrian is in that 71% uh, completion percentage that includes more downfield passing that he's, that he's more successful at, I mean, I think you start with the running back, and if those guys can give Nebraska some help, uh, I, think it, I think it makes it so easy for Adrian Martinez, and I also think it makes it easier for play calling that you can lean on that. I go back to the Rutgers game. Look it. They started to lean on the running game because they had confidence that it was working and they never went away from it. I feel that they lose their identity offensively when they don't have consistent running back play and aren't able to get five, six yards, or when they need a couple of yards, they're able to get it. So that's like the main position to watch this this upcoming fall camp. Um, but I like Urban after that. I think it's up in the air. Gary, we are going to have to get to Texas, Oklahoma here in a second, but I have one more question about about this run game because it was such an, a, a liability for Nebraska last year. And, and you you mentioned other teams in the Big Ten that use their uh, their running game as a way to to get them some guaranteed yards. And the number one school I think of their quarterback's not a world beater, but it, it's Northwestern. I don't mean this with any slight, but I mean I can't name for you a, a Northwestern running back over the past five years that's really stood out and wowed me and been like, wow, man, that dude's he's a beast. Um, so. Whenever you look at this Nebraska football team this year, does Nebraska need a running back uh, to come in and be a guy like Abdullah or Burkhead or even Divine Zigbo, or can they lean on that that experience the offensive line in order to to get them uh, what they need in the run game? I think you'd want a sexy uh, thousand yard rusher, but to your point, Elijah, you're right. Uh, You you can't really rattle off any uh, Northwestern running backs. I mean, Darnell Autry, that's a long time ago. Um, (laughs) There's an there's an Anderson in there. Uh, but look at Minnesota, for example. Now, now this is maybe the more of the model. I think Nebraska can't survive without a very top-level running back. But look at Minnesota and look at Iowa coming into this year. Mo Ibrahim is the top running back in, in the Big Ten for Minnesota. Look at what he takes off the plate of Tanner Morgan. 
Remember just a couple of years ago, they had a three-headed monster at running back, and Bo has emerged as the top guy in the Big Ten coming into 21. Look at Iowa. Tyler Goodson is a really good running back, and look what it does to a young quarterback. It takes a lot off of his play. So I think Nebraska first needs consistent production out of that position, and then it would be nice to have a young, up-and-coming running back where he makes you go, wow. I mean, I just mentioned two guys in two systems where they rely on the running game to help young quarterbacks or safe quarterbacks in Tanner Morgan. They also are pretty good. I think Nebraska, if they can get that model, and that's a, a young freshman that we saw bits and pieces of during the spring, that would be ideal for Adrian Martinez and the rest of this team. And we didn't even mention Sevion Morrison, Ramir Johnson. They have a chance, too. Sevion Morrison is one that we're all kind of waiting for. We really want to see him play. But it seems like when we get ready to watch him, he's not there. I expect him to, to try and make some noise during the fall. But good point, Mark. He's one that we kind of forget because we haven't seen, and he's running either COVID or injuries. Um, if he's on the field and he, and he plays like people speak of him, or we saw him in high school in Tulsa, then there's another guy into the mix. Nebraska has options. It just they need somebody to take that position and not give it back so that we're not talking about – well, we got four to five running backs. No, we're talking about we have a number one running back, and then we have some nice complementary pieces to that number one running back. Yeah, when you consider injuries and you consider experience and fit and all those things, it just, I don't know. And and the fact that Yanch got put on scholarship in the offseason, it, it feels like it's going to yep. be Urban and Yanch. Yep. But, but we'll see. We'll see. I guess that's why they uh, start practice next week to find out. All right, Gary, Texas and Oklahoma, SEC. The, the dawn of potentially the 16-team super conference, um, and, and it's starting with the SEC and starting with Texas and Oklahoma. Let, let's just start there. There, there are some procedural things that Texas and Oklahoma are going to have to deal with, like with state legislatures and all kinds of political things that you know Nebraska didn't have to go through or would not have to go through um, just because of the makeup of their state and their government and how many colleges are in those states and all those sorts of things. All that said, are do you see any of those kinds of roadblocks preventing what seems inevitable, which is Texas and Oklahoma at a TBD date joining the SEC? Well, I think it's it's risen above presidents, chancellors, athletic directors in the state of Texas when you're at the board of the regents and you know it'll probably end up on the governor's desk. Uh, I expect Oklahoma and Texas to make the move, but it's going to be choppy getting there. And Texas A&M isn't going to be happy, and who knows what will happen to the Big 12. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's the mini-NFL and the SEC, and the SEC, they're in it for money. I also think there are going to be some things that come out that Texas, and then the Big 12 has bowed to Texas. And, you know, they're going to kind of get what they deserve. But I'm surprised that Oklahoma, who's not as strong a brand as Texas, is going with their rival into a new conference. But there's a lot of money there. But I think what we're going to find out on why these two top brands in that conference wanted to break away is there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that probably we're not privy to that are going to come out. And I think it's not necessarily the money, but I think the TV deal is a big, big deal. The prestige of the TV deal and what is how big is the bat that the Big 12 swings compared to the SEC when it comes to their TV rights, and where they are positioned. Now, I'll give you an example. How ironic is this? 
We're getting excited about a, a 50th anniversary of the game of the century in 71, coming up in the middle of September in Norman. But look at the impact of that game. Nebraska tries to get out of the game. It was probably one of the, the notches on the side of Bill Moose has got to be moved into retirement because of the way that was handled and whose feelings were hurt, and it became a power play. And then look on the other side. Joe Castiglione was livid, absolutely livid, that with everything they were putting into that game and all of the buildup and the requests that they had, not only for that day, but they don't like playing at 11 a.m. in September in Norman because it is so hot. Um, they made a special request to the Big 12 and to Fox, and the Big 12 did not back them up. And so you, it's very rare with all the money that a schools make from a TV contract that an athletic director would go after a TV network. I don't think they felt the support of the Big 12, and I'm sure that was the last domino in whatever Oklahoma had against the Big 12. But mm. I expect this to happen. But I think it's going to be really, really choppy. But it has to happen. This has to be the last year for those two teams in the Big 12. We saw what a lame duck year can be like. It was miserable for Nebraska. There's no way that those two schools can stay in the Big 12 until 2025. Gary Sharp's with us here on Hale Varsity Radio, Saturday morning edition as we uh, get a little bit, a little bit into uh, the Texas and Oklahoma news. And, and Gary, how mad do you think Texas A&M actually is here? I mean, it sounds like they may have been the ones who, who leaked the story out that Texas and Oklahoma were looking to go to the SEC. So do you think that Texas A&M is mad enough that they could look to relocate out of the SEC now that Texas is coming to town? First of all, they would be idiotic to relocate. Uh, there's no way they would relocate. I mean, they've got so much invested in their program and the brand and the money um, that they are not happy, and they leak the story. Come on. The the beat writer for Texas A&M for the Houston Chronicle was the one that put out the story. It just happened to be on the day that Texas A&M was at SEC Media Days. We're not dumb. We can put all of the, the things together. I think you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to massage Texas A&M a little bit, but I can see why they're mad. They broke away from Texas. They're, they're hated rival. So they could have their own identity in the state of Texas, and it's benefited them because they can use the SEC brand. Hey, we're the only school in Texas in the SEC. Now you've got the monster in Austin that has more money than God that is going to be in the same conference. I can see why you're upset, but they would be idiotic to leave the SEC. I just... They've expanded the stadium. They've invested in, in facilities. They've got that brand. They won't leave, but they're going to need they're going to need a big long hug, probably from Greg Sankey, and and, and and maybe something behind closed doors um, makes them go from being irate to oh, okay. But if you got Texas and Oklahoma, Texas and Texas A and M playing every year, I think there's going to be a fan base that would come around on that. And Gary, uh, you know, it seems like a, a likely outcome of of this move. Uh, will be the fall of the Big 12, of course, or as we know it, as a power conference, the fall of the Big 12. And it seems like it'll be Pac-12, SEC, ACC, Big 10 as the ones that are standing. And presumably, if you're trying to look at parity and the Big 10 wants to keep pace, they'll probably need to add a couple schools too. As you look at the viable candidates out there that the Big 10 could add, I don't see a huge football power out there. I think Notre Dame is married to the ACC, and it'd be very difficult to pull them from that. Um, so I don't think there's a, a bunch of big football brands out there that would be right for the taking. It feels so, like Kansas, from an academic standpoint and at least a basketball standpoint and a geographical standpoint, makes sense. They seem like they would be a shoe in Wondering if you agree with that. But then who gets that last spot? If the Big Ten decides to add a couple teams, which in all likelihood seems like will happen at some point in the next couple years. 
Okay, I'm wet blanket guy here because it's it's become a thing in college athletics. It's no longer about the TV boxes. It's no longer about Jim Delaney wanting to add Rutgers so he gets to the New York City market. It's all about brands. Brands are greater than TV boxes. Streaming is better, and that's where we're going. So with that said, do any of the teams that are being mentioned in the Big Ten float your boat? For me, no. I think Nebraska's got 14 strong brands, or excuse me, the Big Ten's got 14 strong brands that they need to help those brands. They've got the largest brand in all the college athletics in Ohio State, and they've got some really, really good ones. I think what they need to do today is they need to make sure they've got 14 strong brands because are they just adding teams to be adding so they can keep up with the SEC? Because as you laid it out, Mark, and other people have, who out there goes, whoa, here we go. You know what? The brands that would be available are, go- are the two that are going to the SEC or Notre Dame or somebody on the West Coast like USC, and we know that's not going to happen. So I don't, I don't know what Kevin Warren's going to do. This is a whole other world for him. Jim Delaney would be perfect, and Jim Delaney would probably try and poach Texas-Oklahoma before they got to the SEC. But I, I don't think right now, I don't think the Big Ten should just expand so that they can have 16 and they can be the second mini-NFL. They need to look at their 14 brands and make them the best as possible and not just be adding to adding and hurt the league because – Rutgers coming in, they really haven't given you anything in football. You know, Nebraska is a brand, but they haven't given you everything you wanted in football. I think you focus on your 14 and watch everybody else and what they do. And then also, in the back of your mind, think, man, what's going to be like when those contracts start coming up in 2025? Are we even going to have conferences? Is the Big Ten going to exist? Is it just going to be 16-team conferences littered throughout the country? I mean, that you have to think of those things as well. And you know, what's our, what's our confidence level on the commissioner of the Big Ten being able to handle all those pieces on his own without making committees all over the place trying to come up with a decision? Oh, geez. That, that's a whole other can of worms, Gary. And we're, we're going to have to <laughs> – we can yeah. spend a whole segment on that, on Kevin Warren. Look, Kevin Warren came into a, a, a tough situation, obviously, taking over for Delaney and then doing so in a pandemic. But who is he inspiring confidence in? And, and Gary, we only have like a minute left. But like okay. – I, I'm shocked at I, like words are coming out of his mouth. I, you, like you watch his interview with Dave Rebson on the on the at Big Ten Media Days, and you're just like, that's the dude that's running the ship. I, I don't want to run over my allotted. I can't I imagine he's. My, long, I, I can't imagine he's in this position for a long time. I don't want to run over my allotted time. Your question, I will say, that's hard to figure out when you ask who he is inspiring, you know, inspiring confidence in. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think he's a strong. I, I think he's. I think he's very talented at what is in his wheelhouse. But in this case, I don't think he's got a sole focus where I'm the bottom line. He likes to consult with other people, make a decision, make a Big Ten decision, not leave it to schools and presidents and chancellors. And that's scary in this new age of a TV contract is upcoming for the Big Ten, and what's going to happen with the dominoes that happen in college athletics. You know, the Big Ten is, is, is a monster brand, but they don't have the best commissioner. If you had to rank the Power Five commissioners, you might put Kevin Warren fourth, and that would be ahead of a Pac-12 commissioner that hasn't been on, a, on the job a month. Yeah, yeah. Gary Sharp, Iron Horse. Gary, thanks a lot for your time. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Hey, thanks, guys. All right, there's Gary. Um, where are we at on time, Elijah? 18 seconds left before we got to get out, and I'll make it 16, well, well, 15. Well, well, look at that. Let, let's uh, like to thank Scott Frost for joining us on the Rewind, Elijah Herbal for dealing with technical issues and co-hosting. 
doing a good job. And then, of course, Gary Sharp. I'm Mark Trainack. Thanks for joining us on Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. We'll talk to you again next weekend.